we continue in 1 Peter chapter 4, talking about the end of all things is at hand. And as people who are living in the last days, and certainly that's referencing the whole church age, but we also obviously recognize that uh, we are on the very cusp of that end of this age. And so Peter's statement here just becomes more and more relevant. People talk about the Bible not being relevant to their lives, and I just kind of look at them kind of odd, and I say, well, you haven't read very much of it then, uh, because much of it is written for people who are living at the very edge of this age. And, uh, and it becomes more relevant, not less. And so here we are at the end of all things, is at hand. There is a an urgency now that we hopefully recognize that demands not less spirituality, less activity, uh, but more. And we come to this and we find that uh, Peter calls us to really just four very simple things. We've already studied two of them. And uh, we've seen the necessity of those in the end times. That we need to be serious and watchful in our prayers. That we should not be praying less, but praying more. We should not be praying uh, more haphazardly, but we should be praying more diligently, that we should be concerted in that, and together, uh, understanding the times that we have this common uh, enemy, and that we have a common uh, (laughs) opposition that we're going to have to encounter together, and so we ought to be in prayer, both corporately as a body of Christ, together in, in group praying, and in our families praying and individually praying, we talked about the necessity of praying without ceasing, that there is not coming a time, there's not a time now that we simply say, well, it, what case or whatever is going to be, it is, and we're just going to take it as it comes. No, God calls us to engage him in prayer, that it is an, a vital part of what it requires to endure in these days that we're asking God not to make ourselves comfortable. We're asking God to enable us to stand fast uh, under the weight of the opposition that we should be anticipating in the end times. That we do not stand fast by our own stubbornness, by our own uh, uh, strength of character, but we stand fast by praying in the Holy Spirit for uh, this transitions our thinking from being earthbound to being heavenly bound. This is where we are heading is, and I use two different words of bound. I hope you got that. Earthbound, bound can mean tied up. It can also mean on your way somewhere. You got, oh, it's, it's evil, this language of ours, isn't it? So you can either be tied up or going. <laughs> With the same word, bound. Are you bound to earth or are you bound for heaven? Well, we are bound for heaven. That is where we are bounding towards. And as we get closer and closer and we've picked up some speed heading down this slope into uh, eternity, we recognize that we are going to have to be very careful. And prayer is that which keeps our mindset properly focused on things above instead of things of the earth. That I can endure the wickedness of men, uh, even concentrated upon us to the degree that we can cry out to God, certainly, 
but we endure that with an understanding that it is so temporary compared to our heavenly hope. And prayer doesn't just bring God's power and glory and grace and mercy to bear in our life. It also directs our thinking towards him. That we stand fast. That whatever the world throws at us, we will not stumble. We will not bow before any but our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it also enables us to be prepared. Prayer enables us to be prepared for this. We then looked last week at verse 8, that we ought to have that fervent love that this is a priority of life, a fervent love for one another, a love that will cover a multitude of sins, not about what we thought of as love, but something much more substantial, and that is the love of Christ that came and covered your sins, that we ought also to be engaged in this process of atoning for, of covering the sins of one another, not by ignoring them, but by dealing with them. God doesn't just ignore and forgive everybody. Uh, that's not what a forgiving spirit entails. It says, I'm going to make a way for you to get things right before God, before me, before your brethren. Uh, this is what is involved in love covering or atoning for a multitude of sins. That we are not going to leave people languishing in their sin. We're not going to entertain bitterness in our heart towards one another. These are crucial things at the end times. Um, because uh, we need one another. And so the necessity of having the process of rebuking and correcting, of, of we, we like the instruction and all of that, but the rebuke and correction, we're, we're not really very, very receptive to that very often, and we should be, um, because that is one of the most powerful parts of fervent love, because you are making the way for them to... Be right. We don't rebuke and correct for, to condemn people, but that they might repent the same reason God does. And says, so the same reason Jesus looked at the Pharisees and called them a brood of vipers. Uh, well, that's not very nice. Well, um, if the God of all the earth, if the Son of God calls you a brood of vipers, you should take that to heart and maybe rethink your life a little bit. And so, but rather they hated him and wanted him killed. How people respond to this work of love to provide an avenue for forgiveness and restoration um, is not your responsibility. Your responsibility is to provide that avenue for the covering of their sins. And if they have sinned against you, um, we can try to isolate ourselves, say, I'm never going to forgive them. We can entertain that bitterness, as I said, and it will just cause injury to us, and it will be that which prevents us from standing in the end times. We will not stand against the world because we've isolated ourselves from the believers who are an intimate part of what it means to stand fast in our faith. And so we saw the necessity, above all things, the priority of fervent love for one another, love that goes beyond uh, modern concepts of what it means. It is a commitment, not based upon my feelings for others, but based upon a decision of my will. I will seek their welfare above even my own. And thus I will make and I will 
I will uh, make every effort to enable them to come out of sin, to come out of error, to come out of uh, the pit that they have put themselves in. I will, I will throw the rope down. I will throw out the lifeline. I will do that because that is the greatest expression of love. I will not abandon them to that peril. We see the necessity of these in the end times. We come to the third one today. And the third one today uh, is kind of surprising. I mean, prayer, I understand necessity of prayer. Fervent love for one another, I'm with you there. Now, why does this rank, the next one, the third one, rank in the top four? Things that are going to help you stand fast in the end times. Because the end of all things is at hand, make sure that this is on your top four list for Peter, there it is. Ready? Verse 9. It says, Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Number three on the four things that Peter says, if you want to say there's just four things to really help you stand in the end times, here they are. Uh, and the actions, the activities, we are looking at the doctrine and theology behind these. We have studied that. We will continue to study that. Uh, but these are the activities of Christians. What is it that Christians are going to do to endure in these times? And uh, certainly right, prayer, I got it. I, I, I can understand the necessity of that. Loving one another, got that. That's a priority throughout Scripture. Now be hospitable to one another. How is that so vitally important in the end times that of all the things Peter has to list off here, he throws this one in there and in number three position. And remember, the first one is my relationship with God. The second one deals with our relationship with one another. And now this just kind of seems like a tacked on thing uh, that seems to fit underneath uh, number two. It's kind of like 2B or something. Uh, no, it is of its own nature, and we're going to talk about this. This is not the only place that we have this referenced uh, in Scripture. In fact, you will find almost all the New Testament writers focusing in on the necessity uh, that the Christian community be a hospitable people. Now, let's talk about the word first. Let's talk about what the word hospitable entails and then we're going to look at a couple examples. One that you're going to, they're, they're both going to be very familiar to you. You're going to recognize one as definitely hospitality. The other one may be a little bit farther from what you think of as hospitality. But let's talk about the Greek word here. The Greek word here is, uh, is two words put together that is, that is translated for you be hospitable or hospitality. And that is the word love. That's phileo. And guest. Love, guests. Or you could put in strangers. And so really it means the love of strangers, the love of guests. Now we could take that in a couple of ways, and I'm not sure we have to pick one or the other. Uh, I'm pretty sure you can pick both of them. There is a love of having guests. That's the entertainer, okay? The one who wants to have everyone to their house and they just love having guests over at their place. And, um, and some of you are those kinds of people. You just prefer to have everyone. Uh, I like to have everyone to my house because I, 
I just don't like doing ears. No, I'm just kidding. Because <laughs> I'm a homebody, right? No, uh, I just like to share what I have. Uh, but, and, and, uh, but some of you really enjoy having people over. Uh, some of you don't. That's not a priority. Uh, that's okay. Uh, you say, well, I'm not a hospitable person because I never have anyone over. Uh, that's only part of this word that's involved. That's the entertaining side. That's really love of having guests in your place. And we have some great examples in God's word of this, um, of course, historically. And in Hebrews, we're told, you know, don't, be a, don't forget to entertain strangers, for some have entertained angels unawares. And we know who he's talking about. We're talking about men like Abraham, Abram at the time. We're talking about men like Lot uh, that were entertained strangers, correct? And that were actually angels, including the angel of the Lord himself. And so we have a directive uh, there uh, in Hebrews. We have it in Paul's writing, both in Romans and Corinthians. We, we have it in John's writing. We have it extensive that we are going to have this openness of our homes, our places uh, to others. The love of having guests. Let's go to an example here and that's kind of upside down a little bit for you. I want you to take you to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, if you'll turn there. This is a story you are very familiar with. Luke chapter 19. Verse 1 says, Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. That's not a really nice place. Jericho. Uh, even today it's not. <laughs> it's now under Palestinian control. Um, now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, and he was going to, as he was, for he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. Interesting statement. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, I wonder who the they is, they all complained, saying he has gone to be a guest with a man who was a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I, I give half my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone from my false accusation, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. We come to the story of Zacchaeus as an exercise of hospitality, and I want you to notice that there is a very great willingness in Zacchaeus to extend hospitality, um, but he is not the person that is inviting Jesus. He is the person that Jesus goes to be invited, invites himself. I want you to notice that. Jesus says, I must come to your house today. Now, did Jesus really have to go to Zacchaeus' house? Weren't there plenty of other people that were willing to entertain Jesus Christ at their houses that day? Well, there were so many people that he could have picked anybody. 
And I'm sure he had many, many invitations. Please come to my house. You know, if I were a resident of Jericho and one of those people gathering around him, and, and I assume that they is some of the chief people of the city, the chief Israelites and, and religious leaders and, and, and social leaders, and, and here is an IRS agent. And Jesus Christ says, I need to go to your house. And I've just turned the tables on you, haven't I? Because now your hospitality isn't by, measured by who you invite to your house, but who invites themselves to your house. Whoa. Well, that's not socially acceptable. But it's the measure of real hospitality. Jesus says, get down from that tree. Now, does Jesus and Zacchaeus know each other? No, it says Zacchaeus climbed the tree to see him. because he. And I want you to notice how it's described. He wanted to see who Jesus was in verse 3. He didn't really know who Jesus was. He's just heard about him, but he doesn't really know Jesus. He's not been following the exploits of Jesus all over uh, Israel. He has not been listening to the teaching of Jesus. He had no idea who Jesus was. He wanted to just see who everyone else is talking about him. I can go see him. And that would kind of make sense. The guy is all about money. That's what his life is centered around. Uh, he's going to get ahead um, fairly or foully. He's going to do it. Uh, he, he, he's going to go after the almighty shekel, denarii. Uh, that's, that's the pursuit of his life, is the finery of these things. But he's just, curiosity has gotten a hold of him because everyone is, you know, maybe he's having a hard time collecting taxes because everybody's out in the streets looking for Jesus, following him around. And he's curious. He doesn't know who Jesus is. And here Jesus looks up at the tree and calls him by name. Zacchaeus, come down. And it says, hurry, make haste. Make haste, come down. No time to spare. Hurry up and get down here. I must get to your house today. And Zacchaeus demonstrates that already the impact of Jesus Christ on his life has begun because he responds immediately. You might say, well, maybe he just felt like this is an important person, all these people gather around, and he's been talked to. No, a stranger just called him by name up in a tree, and he knows who he is. If he knows his name, he knows who he is. Zacchaeus doesn't really know Jesus, but Jesus knows him. It says, I'm coming to your house today. I have to. I must. It's critically important that I come into your house. This is a concept of hospitality that we don't often think of. That people need to be in our house. Sometimes for our benefit more than theirs. We've never thought of hospitality. Always as me giving them something. 
And I want to just share with you, this is commonly the case with Christ. Uh, when he was in Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' house, you remember the Martha was out there busy, 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 and, uh, uh, and was get kind of upset that Mary was just sitting there listening. Tell her to help me. No, Mary, no, Martha. Mary's choosing what's better. Food isn't, this physical food and that care isn't the priority. The priority is that I've come to your house today. And you get to hear the truth of Jesus Christ. So when we talk about the love of guests, Zacchaeus, we don't think of an imposed guest as really being a blessing. No, I'm going to bless you by inviting you. Um, we often think of an imposed guest as a blessing. But we ought to. And Jesus comes, and of course we see Zacchaeus' response, and, and what a powerful declaration. And, and, but I want you to notice how everyone else responded. Zacchaeus responded with joy. He responded with acknowledging his sin and repenting and doing acts of repentance, evidence of repentance. He demonstrated it in Jesus' statement, salvation has come to this house and he also is the son of Abraham. But I want you to notice that's Zacchaeus' response, and it's a wonderful response. But I want you to notice everyone else's response. They complained. And isn't it interesting that Peter says that you have uh, hospitaled one another without grumbling? Everyone else is complaining. They complain, says, he's going to go and... He's going to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. And let's understand the nature of what we're talking about here. We're talking about not only using your home, but other people's homes as a place of the gospel going forward. Jesus Christ goes in as a guest. And sometimes being hospitable means I'm going to be the guest of a sinner so that I can introduce them to Christ. Are we that approachable that the sinners can, or are we the judgmental kind they are going to complain, oh, you can't hang out with sinners. You can't go to their house. You know, what kind of stuff goes on in that house? Well, I know what God wants to go on there. He wants salvation to happen. And Christ says, I must go to your house for that impact. Can you imagine the impact on Jericho to have their chief tax collector uh, now being honest, now being one of the major givers of the community, restoring four times whatever he took from people. What an impact. And yet people complained about it. And so it is the love of having guests, and sometimes it's the love of being a guest in that role of being in each other's homes, and that's certainly a part of hospitality that we need to demonstrate in our lives, that we are hospitable to one another. And the one another here is a very different kind of one another than that of verse 8. Uh, this, uh, although it's an extension of that, that we are going to, even if I don't know you, you're welcome in my home. There are many believers on this earth that I don't know and they are very welcome in my home. And 
I have been privileged to be welcome in many of their homes. One of the powerful things of you sending us to India and the Philippines and Peru and, and Haiti and Cuba and all these places that you have sent us uh, is the privilege of being in believers' homes. And whether it be in the uh, hike up into the Andes Mountains to be there with Juan, uh, or whether it, it be uh, you know tucked into a little village that you almost had to fall through a bridge to get through to, um, to be with believers in their homes. And as they treat you as the honored guest everywhere you go, and to recognize that they are being a blessing to me, and I'm called to be a blessing to them, to bless those homes. And the greatest blessing we can give is the gospel, the truth of God's word, and to lift them up in prayers. And these people that I have met over these decades in our international travels have, have just impacted us. And my family that have traveled with me of, the, of what hospitality has entailed. That whether that they have a shack or whether they have an extensive facility, they extend that hospitality and how precious that is. They didn't know me. They knew of me. They didn't know me. And now they do. And we have an opportunity to pray for one another, to remember one another, to encourage one another um, because of hospitality. And we ought to have that kind of hospitality to one another within the body of Christ universal. And then further to the strangers around us. You see, there's another way to take the word hospitality, not only the love of having guests, but the love of the guests themselves. And to really explore this, we're going to go to another story that you are very, very familiar with, also in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested Christ, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Verse 25, I'm sorry, I didn't give you a verse. We'll start in verse 25. It says, he said to them, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? And the answer said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered rightly. Do this and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. There's that Jericho place again. Must not be a very nice place. And fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. By, now, by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day he departed, he took out two denarii, gave, him, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, take care of him, 
and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said, go and do likewise. This is the parable of the Good Samaritan, and this is uh, that concept of loving the guest. Not just loving having guests to your house, but loving the guests. Of recognizing a, a, and of being a willing to extend yourself to meet their greatest needs. Not just to enjoy this time of entertaining fellowship together, um, but don't cloud this over with hard things and difficult things and problems. We don't want to talk. We just want to have a good time together. And we, that's why we call it entertaining guests, uh, where it's just about having a good time. But this is about bringing guests in who have great and serious needs, who cannot reciprocate your expression of hospitality, and who desperately need your care. Who is my neighbor? Who is the guest that I should extend myself to? And this story by Jesus Christ puts it into perspective very quickly that the Samaritan, if he had been met by this man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, very likely would have been ignored by this man. If he was a good Jewish person, he probably wouldn't have had a lot of contact with a Samaritan because they were not really Israelites and we try to avoid Samaritans and we avoid Samaria uh, but this man who was beaten up and left for dead on the side of the highway, the religious people that should have taken notice of him ignored him. It was the Samaritan that said, I'll take responsibility for his care. And by the words of the person Jesus is talking to, he showed mercy upon him. And it is showing mercy that is intrinsic to understanding the love of guests. Not just of having guests. And, in, and now we suddenly have a totally different kind of hospitality, don't we? This is more of entertaining and, and uh, just sharing meals and happy and good times. And I think we all really kind of enjoy having the party and now we come over here and now we are suddenly not a party house so much as we are, I'm going to use the word, hospital. And guess what word hospital is derived from? Hospitality. Love of guests. Love of strangers. That I'm going to take them and I'm going to care for their wounds. I'm going to see where their needs are, real or felt. I'm going to look at them, and I'm going to want to bring care to them. And it's going to be costly to me. And we don't really value how costly Jesus Christ is describing the Samaritan. Um, he took his time and applied his capacity to bandage his wounds, uh, poured out oil and wine, which are both commodities that were... Uh, many times expensive, put him on his own animal. So that means he's going to have to walk to Jericho from wherever this event occurred. He's going to uh, exert his energy to preserve that man's life. Uh, brings him to an inn, takes care of him there, which means he's going to pay the price for that. 
and he knows he can't stay there. He's got the responsibilities the next day, and so he takes out two denarii. Now, it sounds like, well, that's not much. Well, let's put that into modern perspective. That's two days' wages. Not two hours, two days' wages. So how much do you make in a day? Two days' wages. So if you're making, let's say, $20 an hour, and you're working eight hours, that's $160. That means $320 he plunked down there for that man's care. Oh, it's more than two, two dollar bills, yeah. Two days' wages is what he put out for that man's care. He doesn't know the man. There's no evidence that that man has become conscious, even. He says, not only that, he's made a further commitment that this is just for his care until I get back. And I'll even reimburse whatever else you spend. I'm going to take this person's need in its entirety. I'm not going to ask you to share the burden with me. I, I don't even know if he can share any of the burden with me. It's not relevant because I love the guest. I don't just love having guests, and that's usually what we think of when we hear the word hospitality in Scripture. We don't think of our home as a hospital where we love the guests. That they come to our house and every, every resource we have is, is at their disposal. And yes, my house is, a, is important to me. It's a place where there's safety, there's peace, and, and I... I covet the privacy that is there, but if God calls upon me to open that door and to bring a guest in that has, and make that home a hospital, then praise God. Are we ready to show that kind of mercy? Now, with this concept on our mind, in our hearts. Let's begin to talk about the necessity of hospitality in the end days. The end of all things is at hand. Are you ready to be hospitalists? Be hospital people without complaining, without grumbling about it. Because when you're in that condition, when you have that mentality, it recognizes it's going to interrupt your life. It's going to take you into areas of discomfort. It's going to uh, draw from your resources and maybe from your savings. It's going to put your patterns of life at risk. <laughs> it's going to sometimes swallow up days not just hours of your time. You're going to have to exert energy that you meant for something else, and uh, this is what it means when our homes are available for hospitals, and now maybe we can begin to understand it is not just about I'm willing to have all of you over for dinner, which we're going to have today, actually, um, that requires nothing of you. Oh, that's a nice part. That's one kind of hospitality. But we're talking about 
saying, I'm prepared to take on your needs, to be your hospital, and not throw you off onto someone else. And if it's beyond my capacities that to my, my physical skills or time or, or uh, presence to deal with you, I can certainly uh, engage others. I can hire others to do it. I will take the responsibility for your care. Do you think there's going to be call for that in the end of the age? We are not talking about just having parties. We need more parties because the Lord's coming back. Okay? And there are groups that do that, by the way. When they set a date, they all have a party and they go up on a mountain and they're expecting Jesus. They, I don't know. It's kind of a bummer party because you always end going down off the mountain instead of to heaven. Um, unless you drink the juice. Uh, sorry, I shouldn't have gone there. Um, oh, no, it's not that. That's not, I'm not telling you to go out and have more parties because Jesus Christ is coming soon. I'm telling you, is your home ready to be a hospital? Have you designed it for it? Or do you have a mentality for it? Have you stocked it for that? And I'm not just talking about a physical hospital to take care of people's bandages and food. I'm talking about a spiritual hospital where people are going to be troubled. They're going to be full of fear. They're going to be full of worry. They're going to be full of, of, of anguish and, and despair. And they want to have a place to come to where there is truth, where there is hope, where there is love, where there is peace. Do we have such a place? And is it readily available to people to partake of? Do they know your home is a spiritual hospital? And by the way, it should be a physical hospital too. That's going to be necessary. I'm sure of it. Especially when the Bible says you can't buy or sell without the mark. That they're going to be hunted down if you don't worship at the image, at the picture show. If you don't worship on a screen instead of in person, you're going to be hunted to death. And if you, you don't have the mark, you're not going to be able to buy or sell, which means you're going to have a hard time functioning in our economy. So, yes, they're going to need physical care. And we ought to have some preparations for that. This man has taken of his resources to care for a stranger who has needs. Are we prepared for our homes to be hospitals? Spiritually, physically, relationally. Our world has become a place of isolation, and it's killing people. They don't want to talk about it, but it is. It is killing old people who can't, had, didn't get a chance to see family members for months on end, who's already in a fragile state, and they died. They didn't die of COVID. They died of loneliness. They had no reason to live because they had no loved ones they could see, and they gave up and died. They are dying by suicide because they are isolated, and in that isolation comes despair, comes fear with no resolution, and they kill themselves. In isolation, their immune system deteriorates and deteriorates, and now they're susceptible to any little bug, and yes, that will kill people. Scientists 
once upon a time took a group of chimpanzees. I don't know the time or place. They took a group of chimpanzees at, from birth and they put them in a completely sterile environment. No germs, no bacteria, nothing, no viruses. A completely sterile. They handled them through gloves and they were in the special room. Oh, nothing can hurt these, children, these little baby chimpanzees. Um, there's no disease that can touch them. They're in this perfectly sterile environment and every one of them died in just a few months. Kind of makes you wonder if you should be really worrying about sterilizing everything around your child. Every one of them died within just a few months from isolation. Because our bodies need all the little buggers uh, around us, but we also need contact with one another. The world is in isolation, and so not only do they need spiritual care, not only do they need physical care, but they're going to probably, as much as spiritual, they're going to need relational care. Can I come and talk to you? Because I can't talk to anyone else. They're afraid of me. I'm not allowed in their house. I can't not wear a mask. You know how hard it is to get... have deep conversation with somebody with a mask on. And by deep, I don't mean subject matter. I, I, in terms of uh, lots of data, I'm talking about uh, things that are important to their heart. It's more than just eye contact. It's that whole facial expression. We are relationally isolating. And no wonder Peter, by the power of the Holy Spirit understood, listen, the one thing that we are going to really need, the third thing <laughs> we're going to really need, we're going to need prayer. You're going to have to have this communication with God. You're going to have to lay it all out there. Trust in the Lord. Prayer is a reminder. I am trusting in the Lord to stand fast in these days. Love one another. We are going to have to trust one another to, in these last days. We're going to need the, the, the brethren with us. I should be willing to stand fast by myself, but I shouldn't have to stand fast by myself. We have a loving church family. And then thirdly, we are going to have to be hospitals. Our homes have to be hospitals where we can fix the relational isolation. How did Peter know? Does God know? The end times are going to be like this. You're going to be kicked out of the economy. No buying and selling. You're going to be kicked out of that. You're going to be threatened physically. You're going to have worries and concerns. And that's why it's so necessary that our homes become hospitals. Where can I be taken care of? Where will these matters be resolved? Where can I overcome this isolation? Where can I find hope? Where can I find deliverance? Where can I find these things? And we should be wide open and recognizing this is what it means to be a believer. And now we begin to understand hospitality. Yes, we should be and we have been and I'm pretty sure we'll continue to be lovers of having guests. 
I enjoy getting together. I enjoy having you over and coming over to your place. We should have those parties. We should keep that fellowship. It's precious. Uh, it prevents us from isolation, and it's healthy for us. Um, but we should also be lovers of our guests. And recognize it's not always about entertainment. It's about care. How can I care for you? And that is much more demanding. I gave one example earlier of a guy named Lot who recognized what it means to love your guests. Because he's a righteous man. What does it mean to love your guests? Well, it means that you're not going to let them be in harm's way. And as those angels came in, oh no, we'll just sleep in the courtyard tonight. And that, not safe, not safe. Not, no, no, please, he compelled them, please come stay with us, please come stay with us, please come stay with us. When the crowd is banging at the door, wanting those two beautiful men that we saw come into town to say, what is, I offers up even his daughters. He was ready to put his entire family on the line, protect his guests. Don't do this wicked thing. And he puts it all on the line. And there it is that he has a love of his guests. Oh, that we would have this understanding of hospitality. A love that says, I will take the burden that has been put upon others, not by their own choices, but by a world gone mad. And I'll share that burden. I'll carry that load. I will be their hospital. And now we suddenly realize, oh yes, we need this in the end times. Because we're going to be removed. That is what the world wants. They want you removed. Satan wants you removed. We want to be removed by the rapture. They want to remove you by destroying you in their mind. So we have it resting upon us in Scripture after Scripture, in Corinthians and Romans, be hospitable, be hospitable, be hospitable. He's not just calling you to have parties. He's calling you to be hospitals, to be places where people's injuries can be treated, where their wounds can be dressed, when their hurts can be salved. This is what it means to be hospitable to one another, that we truly love the stranger and that we do not grumble about it. We do not complain. We recognize that there is a place and time that sometimes we might have to invite ourselves into others' homes because we have something they desperately need that we have to bring the hospital with us into their home, <laughs> as Jesus did to Zacchaeus. I must come to your house today, not because I'm hungry and you're the only one rich enough to feed me. I have to come to your house today because you need to hear what I'm about. You need to know me. 
And it takes hospitality to a different concept for us than our Western ideas of it. And many in Eastern cultures still understand this. When we come in and we say, well, I put myself under your protection, that now there's a host of requirements of the host to do that for you. See, I use host two different ways there too. Did you notice that? The English language is terrible. Are we ready for this kind of hospitality? I hope so, because that's what the end times requires. It will require that our homes, our hospitals, that we are doctors and nurses, spiritually, physically, relationally, that we are ready to meet people's needs, that we will take up the responsibility of making sure I have the skills and the resources to be that for others and for one another. We have long focused on entertaining. We have long focused on spiritual things, but in the end times, I think it's going to become uh, more, much more than that. And we need to look at Christ's parable to really understand and define this. It is certain that we are in the very last days and that these kinds of times that the Bible describes are on the near horizon. It is not time to do less and to become more isolated is time to do more. And to embrace that role as the one who is the hospital. That we do not relegate that to the world because the world will, con- will completely fail in that respect. But for the believer, we are more than capable and should be. We have the resources spiritually. We, brethren, have the resources materially. We are the wealthiest of the world. We have the relationship with one another that we have not compromised. We have maintained our services. We have maintained our fellowship. We have maintained contact with one another because we understand that it is not good for man to be alone. That was before there was sin. We do not call ourselves to go hide somewhere in isolation, but rather to open ourselves up to the risk of caring for others, that we do not grumble about this task, though it cost us much. We do what Zacchaeus did. We accept the role as the host with joy. And we prepared to give half of everything we have away for starters. I like Zacchaeus. He was a wee little man. 
didn't know Jesus, but when he invited him into home, he followed him with all of his heart, all of his mind, all his soul, all his strength, and all of his pocketbook. And there was a house in Jericho that I'm pretty sure Christians in the first century could go to any time. Brethren, your lives, your homes, your resources need to be a hospital for God. For the people around that need him and they need their needs addressed. And it will become more as the day approaches. Let us be prepared, willing, and joyful about it. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. Thank you again for this time, your word, for this instruction for us to endure the end times that we be hospitable, that we love our guests, strangers, brethren that we have not yet met, but are yours nonetheless, and our brethren. Lord, we pray for them. Lord, we also pray for those who are yet our brethren, but need to hear the gospel. They might respond by faith believing. We pray for them. That you might impact their lives through the gospel message through us some might receive you as Savior and Lord. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing, and then I'm going to talk about what's, why we're having a meal after we're singing. So we'll let our guys come back, and we'll do some singing. <laughs>